You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Well, good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. Oh, yeah. I thought I'd have to repeat that at least once, but that was a good response. Good response. Well, I hope you're doing well this morning. It's good to see you. Um, what a wonderful time of worship we've already had uh, this morning, exalting our risen King. Amen? Um, yeah, as a church family, we we uh, celebrate the resurrection of Christ every week, right? I mean, there's really no other reason for a church to, to meet uh, if, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, amen? So, so we, we, you know, our prayer is that no person would ever leave this building without hearing of the good news of, of, of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Um, but uh, still, yeah, this, this is a, a special week, and it's been a, a special week for us as a church family. Um, here at, at Risen Life, we call the, the week leading up to Easter, we've, we've, we've been calling it for a few years, Love Week. Um, and that's because it, it was during this week that we're celebrating uh, from, from Palm Sunday to, to Easter Sunday, um, 2,000 years ago, that the greatest Love that has ever been shown was shown um, by Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. And so we've spent this week specifically <coughs> engaging in some specific ways that we can share Christ's love with, with those in our spheres of influence. And, and so it's been a, a wonderful week, a wonderful week. Um, and then Friday, uh, Good Friday, we, we spent the day in prayer together. Uh, kind of in our, our separate places, and then we came together Friday night for our Seder celebration, and if you were here, it wasn't that such a blessing? Amen. Yeah, I need to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, it was uh, such a blessing, and, and uh, if you missed it, I, I hate that you missed it. Maybe next year, right? Stephen will be maybe doing it again next year, and Stephen did an amazing job leading it, and um, just... All you guys that, that, that chipped in to help, I know there were so many of you that spent long hours preparing for that. So we just, I, I thank you so much for that. It was well worth it and, and such a blessing. Um, and so now this morning, here we are, uh, worshiping together, celebrating uh, together our risen Savior. If, if it's your first time here, thank you for being here. Thank you for, um, Thank you for blessing us with, with, with your presence on Easter Sunday when you could be um, anywhere else. We, we thank you that, that you're here this morning. Um, it's an honor to have you here. And so we're going to open the scripture now to John chapter 20, if you'd like to turn there. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who aren't typically with us on, on Sunday mornings here at Risen Life, we primarily study through books of the Bible on Sunday morning, uh, we want you to know the Word of God. I mean, I don't have really anything great to say to you this morning, but the Word does. The Word is, is what speaks. The Word is, is where the power is. 
Um, and so I, I want you to know it. I, I want you to understand it. I want you to know it in its, in its context. Um, and so th- that's what we've been doing here. And we've been traveling uh, recently, for uh, long recently, uh, in, in the book of John uh, for, for some time now. Um, and, and really by, by God's perfect providence, the last several weeks leading into Easter, we've been looking specifically at the final week of Jesus' life on earth. And then the, the last two weeks, we, we've really focused in on specifically uh, our Lord's crucifixion, um, His death on the cross. And we've looked at that how even in these moments of, of just overwhelming grief and, and of, of torture of our Savior and, and of pain, even in those moments, Jesus is still glorified in the cross. Amen? He's glorified. And, and so now this morning... Uh, on Resurrection Sunday, we come to John chapter 20, and uh, it's the first resurrection narrative recorded by John. Um, the resurrection is, is, of course, recorded in all four Gospels, but this is John's eyewitness account for us. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Uh, we're going to read the first 18 verses of chapter 20, and we'll get started. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were Going to the tomb, so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father, and to my God 
and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing account. Lord, what a glorious account. We are so thankful for John's words here, Lord, written um, through the Holy Spirit. God, we're so thankful that Jesus is alive and that we have tremendous, tremendous and sure hope because of that. Lord, all things are possible because Jesus is alive this morning. And we're, we just give you praise this Sunday, Lord. God, I just pray that you would um, speak your word to your people this morning. That you've moved me out of the way. That you would remove distractions from this place. Or that we would focus for just a little while on, on your word. And what you have for us this morning. God, speak to hearts. Lord, if there's one who doesn't know you this morning. Would today just be that day. Lord, please. Father, grant it, Lord. God, we pray that you would convict hearts this morning. Believers and, and unbelievers alike, Lord, convict our hearts. Show us what we need this morning. And Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord for this eyewitness account uh, written by John. Uh, we've been locked in the past several weeks on the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus, and it has been kind of grueling to study, uh, to study through. The mood in here has been kind of heavy, right? Studying through the cross um, and seeing the way our, our Lord was treated. Uh, leading up to the cross and on the cross. Uh, but now John reveals for us the source of the Christian's hope, the resurrection of Jesus on the third day, just as he said would happen while he was still alive. As believers, we, we truly have the greatest hope that there is. In fact, that's the title this morning if you're taking notes, the, the greatest Hope, the greatest hope. Paul describes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ is not risen from the dead, Christians should be most pitied above all men. Now, we shouldn't be here this morning. It would be ridiculous for us to be here if Jesus is still in the grave. Amen? And don't waste your time. Don't waste your time reading this book either if Jesus is not risen from the dead. See, for Paul, he, he, because he believed in this resurrection uh, so deeply, because he had seen the risen Christ himself, it absolutely transformed his life. Paul went from one who, who was hunting down Christians, killing Christians, trying to hunt every believer he could and put them to death. He went from that to the, the greatest missionary of all time. For Christ. He went from, from hating the name of Jesus to proclaiming the name of Jesus and authoring much of our New Testament that we have today. But because of his transformation in Christ, he was persecuted severely. 
uh, beaten and mocked. And, and ultimately he was killed for his faith. Beheaded. And so he writes that if Jesus did not really rise from the dead, what are we doing? I'm wasting my time. These, these, these Christians whom the world hates should be pitied above all people. But then he goes on to explain there in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is indeed risen from the dead, and He is, then Christians have the greatest hope there could ever be. And there's so many implications of an empty tomb, which we're going we're gonna to see this morning. And when we think of the word hope as, as, as Americans, as, as English-speaking people, um, we think of something very unsure. Okay, we hope that, um, that, that we uh, will be rich someday, right? We, we hope that, that we uh, get a raise at work. We hope that, that Tennessee football will be relevant again someday. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's something unsure. It, it, it's, it, it's just not sure. It's something we, we want it to happen. But we're not sure if it will happen. But when Scripture speaks of the hope that we have in Christ, um, and when the Greek speaks of hope, it speaks of a sure hope. See, our language just isn't quite good enough to, to get that across. But it speaks of a sure hope, a hope that is as good as done. It's a sure thing. And that's what the resurrection of, of Christ gives us as believers, a sure and incredible hope, the greatest hope on earth, the greatest hope that there is. But on this resurrection morning here in chapter 20, 2,000 years ago, that hope started out anything but sure. Uh, in fact, as we unpack this, this passage, our first point is going to be hope vanished. Hope vanished. We don't see hope as we open the passage this morning now imagine with me that you are one of the disciples or you're uh, Mary Magdalene. Now just a few days ago, you were filled with incredible hope about the future. Jesus was alive. Following Jesus, you had heard Him speak of, with power about, about salvation, about healing, about the kingdom of God, about how He's going to prepare a place for you. And how in Him you could have abundant life. You can be filled. You'd even heard Him speak of His own resurrection. Right? Because He spoke about it many times. Even though you didn't quite understand. His disciples just didn't quite get it. He spoke very clearly. But they just didn't quite get. How could this be? You know? How is He going to rise? Most recently, you would have seen him raise a man from the dead, Lazarus, who had been in, the, been in his grave for, for four days. For Mary Magdalene, she had personally and powerfully experienced his healing power. Remember, Jesus had cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. And she could look at her tortured life before Christ and see His amazing, transforming power. It changed her life. It changed everything for Mary. 
But then they saw the cross. And they saw the way that he was beaten and and spat upon and tortured and nailed to a, a tree. Bloodied beyond the point of recognition. I mean, Jesus had to look helpless on the cross. He, he looked absolutely helpless, and it looked hopeless. You know, why, why hadn't he done something? Why would Jesus let this happen? Isn't that what you would think as his disciples? Why did he just hang up there? What, what happened to his power? He just rose Lazarus from the dead. What, what happened to his power? He's helpless now. You know, we've tried over the past few weeks, but it, it's really impossible to understand the, the brutality of crucifixion for us. I mean, we don't see that today. For his disciples, not only did they put nails through Jesus' hands and his feet, they put nails straight through any possible hope that they had for a future. It's hard to, to overstate how hopeless these disciples were. And that's so important. Mary came to the tomb while it was still dark, and, and she had no expectation that he was risen. That's not what Mary was going to see. She was simply going to mourn, to bring spices for the body, to weep. That's why she was going to the tomb that morning. No one is going to the tomb thinking this is the day. He, he told us about this day. He's going to rise today. Like, We've got to get to the tomb and see this empty tomb. Nobody was saying that. Yet Jesus had told them that he would rise but that cross was just too brutal for them to believe he could come back from that. He looked way too helpless for them to consider that that might actually be true. Those words of Jesus had long been forgotten. But here Mary is, and you've got to, you've got to admire her devotion, right? Uh, the other Gospels tell us that there were other women at the tomb with her. And they actually saw two angels who told them Jesus was risen. Mary evidently had missed that when she left to go tell Peter and John what she had seen, that the tomb was empty. But the other ladies had seen it, these angels. But I want you to notice Mary's devotion throughout this passage we just read. Jesus is dead. Hope is lost. But her devotion is so strong. Now she is there early. She is calling him her master. But what strikes me about this passage is that Mary's devotion to a dead Jesus is so much greater than so many Christians' devotion to a risen Jesus today. We know he's alive. And yet does our devotion match Mary's devotion? She just thinks he's dead. It's over. Yet there she is, totally devoted. He is still master and Lord for her. Well, if only the church had half 
the devotion of Mary with, with our Savior who we know is alive. Mary comes to the tomb and she sees the stone was taken away. She sees that. She sees this, it's empty. We know from, from the other Gospels that, that an angel rolled the stone away. But for her, she thinks nothing other than someone has taken the body. That, notice that, that is the only thought that Mary has throughout this until she sees Jesus. Somebody's taken the body. Where is it? There's no room for a resurrection in her mind. So she goes and she tells Peter and John, uh, and Luke 24 tells us um, that when the disciples heard the women telling what they had seen, it seemed to the disciples like idle tales. Jesus told them he was going to rise, and they come and say he rose, and they say, you guys are crazy. What have y'all been smoking this morning? I mean, really, they thought it was nonsense that these women were saying this. They had no room in their minds for a resurrection. They had not even a hope of, of, of uh, uh, a hint of hopelessness. Oh, okay. They had not even a hint of hope. All hope was lost for these people, for these disciples. And you know, maybe you're here this morning and you feel hopeless and, and, and you can't see even a hint of light in your situation. You can't see how that relationship is going to be restored. It does, it, there's no way. And you can't see how God could possibly bring good out of the situation that you're in, the circumstances. You're being drowned and pounded with darkness. Well, I'm just going to ask you to keep listening this morning. Keep listening. The fact that the disciples were so hopeless is strong evidence, by the way, against them stealing the body of Jesus. As the Jewish leaders said, remember, they spread this rumor that the disciples had... Um, had stolen Jesus' body. And there's no way these defeated men uh, and women and, and scared to death disciples who had scattered, there's no way they are going to attempt to steal the body of Jesus, to overtake the Roman guard that, that Pilate had placed at the tomb. There's no way. But the world's got to come up with their stuff, right? They've got to come up. Jesus can't be risen. For the world. Because that means he's master. If he is alive, he's, he's nothing. He's God. Amen. And we must worship him as such. And so the world's got to come up with the, their explanations. And so in their explanations, one idea is that the disciples, you know, they had so much belief. They had so much belief that he would... Rise that they just hallucinated it, right? They hallucinated the, the appearances of Jesus. There's several problems with this, of course. And Paul says, first of all, that he appeared to over 500 men at, at once. And he says, some of these guys are alive today. Go talk to them. Now, that was when Paul wrote, of course. 
Now, how are 500 people going to have the same hallucination? That's not how hallucination works. But people believe this. This is one of the world's excuses. But just as much as that, do these disciples look like they really believe He's about to rise? Yes, again, they had heard Him predicted, but still they have lost all hope. They are scattered. Mary, all she can think is, somebody stole on this body. He's not risen, certainly. There's no place for a resurrection in their minds. You know, this could have all been solved um, by the world in, in the very early hours of this if someone had just produced the body of Jesus, right? If, is there any historical record that the body was there? No, there's not. If they just produced the body, they wouldn't have to come up with these crazy stories. In fact, the Jewish leaders, why didn't they just go to the tomb and get the body? Why would they say um, that someone stole the body? Just show us the body. And it's over. Christianity done. But the world, they've got to come up now with these crazy theories because all of history agrees that the tomb was empty. You've got to do something with it. The tomb was empty. Even the enemy say the tomb was empty. Even the Jewish leaders agreed that the tomb was empty. And they paid the guards to say that while they were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body. Now, how much do you remember while you're asleep? It's a silly story, right? And while we were asleep, the disciples came, they rolled away that stone, and they took the body. How ridiculous. Again, if there's a body, go find the body. That's how you get rid of Christianity. But you see, they had to think of something. Because there simply was no body to be found. No one in history disputes the fact that they never found the body of Jesus. That's something you've got to deal with this morning. They never found it. Lots of weird theories about what happened. We won't go through each one today. You can do that. It's ridiculous. None of which is, hey, we actually found the body in the first century. Nobody says that. Because we know it's not true. There's no body. Isn't that interesting? It would have been really easy to get rid of Christianity with a body. And his followers would be quiet. And we wouldn't be here 2,000 years later worshiping him. But the fact remains that the tomb was empty. Amen? But I want you to see that even with an empty tomb, Mary sees the empty tomb. But the disciples did not yet believe. They were hopeless. And that leads us to our next point. Hope glimmering. Hope glimmering. Mary tells Peter and John that they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. Amazing. There's no possibility for Mary that it's anything else. Someone has taken this body. So we got Peter and John here. That they don't believe that He's risen. 
But they decide, okay, we'll entertain Mary. Let's go check out the tomb. And, and you, you've got to love the way John writes this. They were running together, but the other disciple, which is John, outran Peter, and he got to the tomb first, right? You, you've got to love that. Now, is that an important detail for us this morning? Not really, but for John, that was an important detail. You know, let the record show I am faster than Peter. I mean, that, that's basically all that is there. I don't know of another reason it's there. So John gets there first, as he says. Uh, but Peter, you know, in Peter fashion, he barges right in. John's a little hesitant, looks, peeks in. Peter, he's just like, what are you waiting for, John? Goes right in the tomb in, in Peter fashion. And he sees the linen cloths that they wrap Jesus in. And in such detail, John records that Peter saw the towel that they wrapped Jesus' head with. And it wasn't lying with the linen cloth, but it was folded neatly by itself. Now, God didn't have to give us that detail. It's, it's not really that important. But He's so abundant with His grace. And He's so abundant with His evidence for Christ's resurrection. He knew that many would say, the body was stolen. God could see that. Of course, they're going to say that. But why would a grave robber take the time to fold a cloth? That's ridiculous. If you've ever had your house broken into, they don't exactly leave it tidy, right? That's not the way robbery works. Only Jesus would show us this detail because of His great grace and His desire that we would believe this morning. Grave robbers would probably just take the whole body, in fact. They're not unwrapping it. They're taking the whole body. They're not going to leave the spices. There's 100 pounds of spice in here. Expensive spices. They're not leaving that. They're taking it. It couldn't have been grave robbers. Verse 8 says that John, he came in, finally, and it says he saw and he believed. Now, I'm not sure exactly what this belief was. Because verse 9 says that they had not yet known the Scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead. It reminds me, really, of Mark chapter 9, and we've talked about this in John, but it reminds me of Mark 9 where the, the demon-possessed boy's father brings his son to Jesus for healing and, and the man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. But help my unbelief. Now, you've ever, you ever been there before? Yeah. I think we've all been there. I do believe in You, Lord, but my faith is weak right now. Help my unbelief. So, uh, there's a glimmer of hope here now in this passage. Not much. It's just flickering. There's a flicker of hope. Luke tells us that, that, that Peter marveled at what he saw. Hey, I think of the, the, the thoughts that are going through Peter's mind. Who had, remember, just his last encounter was looking at Jesus after he had just denied him three times and he, he looks in the eyes of Jesus. That was it. But that's the last thing 
that Peter had with Jesus. The questions that he must have had. You know, if Jesus is even alive, he can't love me anymore. I denied him three times. He's got to be angry with me. So many questions for Peter, I'm sure. And they would be answered soon. And we won't answer those this week. But for now, there's just questions. And there's just a flicker, a glimmer of hope. No one has seen Jesus at this point. And then as the narrative progresses, someone will see Jesus. And that's our next point. Hope appearing. Now, hope appearing. And this next part is just an abundance of grace upon us and upon His disciples. You see, Jesus didn't have to appear to anybody. He didn't have to do that. Think about it. The cross had paid our debt, our sin debt. He had paid for sin. The fact of the resurrection had proven that God had accepted His sacrifice and that sin was, in fact, paid for, that everything He said was true. But He didn't have to show Himself. He didn't have to appear to them. He could have just said, well, well, I told them this was going to happen many times. The tomb is empty and they've seen it. If they can't believe that, then I'm sorry. I'm done with them. I've given them everything they need. If they can have stronger faith than that, then I'm out. You could have done that. There's really no reason other than His great, great, merciful, patient grace that He appeared to anyone. Let alone over 500 people at once. It's just an abundance of evidence for us. Ridiculous evidence for us. That Jesus is in fact risen from the dead. He could have just said forget them. But that's not the God that we serve. Thank God. I don't want to preach next week's sermon with doubting Thomas which we'll see at the end of chapter 20. But it must be said here that God meets us where we are. Even in your weakness of faith this morning, if that's you. Even in your doubt this morning. He requires the faith the size of a mustard seed, He says. And He will do the watering. He will do the growing. What a gracious and patient and loving Savior. I hope you see that. I'm so unlike Him. He, he wipes away their doubt by appearing to them. And first He appears to, to Mary Magdalene. Now, it must be said that, that this was embarrassing in the first century. For him to appear to a woman would have been seen as an embarrassment. 
if the disciples were going to make up this story, there's no way that Jesus would first appear to a woman. Because a, a woman's testimony in the first century was worthless. I know, that's hard for us to see. Like, we're, we're not there. But in the first century, a woman's testimony did not count. This was just the fact. So if you wanted to tell a convincing story, there better not be a woman telling it. And so the fact that women are telling this story, they're the first to tell, they're the first that Jesus appears to is another proof that this actually happened. Because if the disciples were making this up, they would know better than to say, oh yeah, he appeared to Mary and the other women first. Oh no. You would not write that if you wanted someone to believe it. And certainly not this woman. Not Mary Magdalene. She was a woman who would have been at some point at least a woman of ill reputation. She had been possessed by seven demons. Who knows the evils that Mary was known for. This is not the woman to choose. Don't choose a woman and don't choose this woman. Those would have been the first rules if you were making this up. But you know, God always does like to turn the world upside down, doesn't He? He, he likes to take what this world calls foolish and, and worthless and insignificant and, and He likes to exalt it to something incredible. He likes to take what's totally broken and completely restore it. Oh, he's the master of that. I hope you've seen that in your own life. If not, I hope you'll see it today. He likes to take broken and restore it and multiply it. Now, let's see, let's see how this happens here. In verse 11, Mary is standing outside the tomb. She's weeping her eyes out. Again, you could see her lack of hope, her devotion, but her lack of faith. Her devotion is much stronger than her faith at this point. She is totally dejected. Peter and John, they, they've seen the empty tomb, but apparently they didn't convince her that, that uh, anything remarkable has happened. She's not believing it. She is hopeless. And she looks into the tomb and she sees two angels in white sitting. And she's apparently so distressed that she can't even recognize these as, as angels. And, and they say, woman, why are you weeping? That's a really interesting question to ask at a gravesite. Huh? Why are you crying? Well, I'm at a gravesite. That's why I'm crying. It's a weird question. She doesn't find it weird, really, but... It's a very strange question. Why are you weeping? And she tells them, just as she told the disciples, that, that they've taken her Lord away, her Master. He, they've taken Him, and, and she doesn't know where He is. And then something must grab her attention, and she turns around and she sees Jesus. Again, she has no place for a resurrection in her mind. She is weeping so hard, she doesn't recognize Jesus. Let's not let that point pass us by. 
And sometimes we are so caught up in our distress and our grief and our suffering that we don't recognize Jesus. We don't remember His promises. Right? We don't remember who He is, that we, that, who this is that we are serving. The weight of the moment is too big. And we make God's power so small. And we forget that He's the one who comforts us in our grief. He is the one that will hold us in our distress. I love this verse. These two verses from Psalm 56. It says, You number my wanderings. You put tears into your body, bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. What a beautiful truth that reminds us that God sees our every tear. He writes, you put my tears into your bottle. You don't forget. You don't forget our every wondering. He knows your pain this morning. And He is for you. And He wants to enter in into that suffering with you, into that pain with you, into whatever situation you find yourself in. He will be your rock and your anchor if you will allow it. And He's so thankful to do it. He's so glad to do it. He's so gracious to do it. But we can get so lost in the pain like Mary did here that we can't recognize Him, that we will not turn to Him we will not believe His promises. Jesus says to her here in verse 15, Why, why are you weeping? Whom, whom are you seeking? She still has no idea. And she thinks it's the gardener, it says. And she asks Him, Just show me where His body is and I'll go get it. I'll go get His body. I'll bring Him back. I don't know how she's going to do that. She's not thinking clearly here. She is overwhelmed with grief. And then it happens. And Jesus calls her name. He says, Mary. We'll get to her response in just a moment. But, but let's focus on what this means. That He says, Mary. It means He is alive. He is appearing to her. He would later appear to many others over a period of 40 days. Over 500 people at once. But first, Mary. He calls her by her name and everything changes. If He is alive, and He is, then everything He had said is, is true. And she realizes it in that moment. The sin is paid for now. Notice with me the, the position of the angels in verse 12. I don't think this is insignificant. One at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus was. This is a picture, picture of the mercy seat in, in, in Exodus. And so on the Ark of the Covenant, where God was, was said to dwell in the temple, this article that they had here, this box that they had on top of that was the, the lid. 
And it was called the mercy seat. And on that mercy seat was where the high priest would go once a year to sprinkle the blood of a bull and a goat to, to pay for, to, to make atonement for sin, the sin of the people. And on that mercy seat, there were two golden angels facing each other. In between them, the place of atonement. They don't miss that this morning. Here we have two angels facing each other, one at the head, one at the foot, and in between them, we have this final and ultimate atonement for sin. Jesus, gone. Sin is paid for. The resurrection proves that, that in Christ, God's wrath against our sin has been completely satisfied and atoned for. He has accepted the sacrifice. He has risen. And there's nothing we've done to earn it. He has accomplished this for us. Praise the Lord, because I cannot earn it. There's nothing good in me. But He's accomplished it for us. And God has accepted His sacrifice for our sin. We talked about last week how because of this we can rest in His perfect work. We who believe have been made perfect by His blood. His blood is applied to our sin and we are washed white as snow. I saw the children with their bracelets this morning and, and Jesse and, and Jonah both led me through what this bead means and what this bead means. And, and there's the, the, red blood that, the red bead that means the blood of Jesus. And then the white bead which means we are washed. We are clean and only because of the red bead, right? That comes first. We are washed white as snow. We have His perfect righteousness, His perfect life given to us. Understand that when He sees you, if you're in Christ, He doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. He sees perfection. I don't care what you're into. He sees perfection. If you know Him this morning. For Mary, she had seven demons. With Jesus dead, she's got to be asking, is it, is it, am I forgiven? Am I acceptable now? Is my sin paid for? Am I going to just go back to this life of demon possession? But with Jesus alive, she knows that it is finished. It has been paid for. Those demons have no place. They have no power. And no matter what you've done in your life, your debt has been paid in Christ. Now will you receive it? Will you just receive it this morning? Or will you leave here this morning with your sin still on you? Because He lives, sin is paid for and you can be made perfect through Christ. Secondly, with sin atoned for, 
we're not just made perfect. We are adopted into God's family. Jesus tells Mary in verse 17, he says, go and tell my brothers that he's ascending to, and he says, my father and your father to my God and now your God. Jesus is defining a new relationship here. He had called his disciples servants. He had called his disciples friends. But now for the first time, he calls them brothers. Romans 8, 15 through 17, it says that those who place their faith in Christ have not received a spirit of bondage to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. And of children that we are, listen, heirs of God. You know what an heir is? That means you have an inheritance. And he says we're joint heirs, joint heirs with Christ. We get his inheritance. We share with him somehow in this inheritance. We are adopted by God as sons and as daughters. We are heirs of what God has and God has everything. Though Jesus still has a a different relationship with God. He's God Himself. And He is worthy of all of our praise. But in a sense, we are brothers. Sisters of Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. We have a new Father. Our Creator who has adopted us and promised us an inheritance. Praise God. Without the resurrection, that's not true. And with that comes a new family, the church. And if as a believer you say, well, I don't need to be in church, well, you're right. The church doesn't save you. But you are scorning the family that God has for you in Christ. You are scorning the family that Jesus died to give you. The precious gift of a church Family, how dare we scorn what Jesus has won for us? What a gift the church is, amen? What a gift. Jesus goes on to tell Mary that he still must ascend, he says. And we know that when he ascended to the Father, he, number one, he proved his power over death. He's resurrected. Now He's ascended to the Father. And He's proven that that we who believe, we will also conquer death. Though we die, yet we shall live if we're in Christ. Death has no power over the believer. It just ushers us into the presence of our Savior in paradise forever. That's all death is for us. It can be nothing more. It's sad for those loved ones we leave behind, but for us as believers, hello. We're going to be living our best life now when we die. And 
And secondly, when he ascended, he sent to us the Holy Spirit. All of the essence of himself and the Father to live inside of us. And we talked about that a lot when we talked about the Last Supper and Jesus' teaching there in the upper room with the disciples. But we have this same power that, Je- that raised Jesus from the dead living in us this morning as believers. And in Him all things are possible. All hopeless situations are, are given new hope. There's no hopeless situation for a believer in Christ. All hopeless relationships are, are given new hope. In Christ. All hopeless sinners are given new hope. Ask Mary. There is no loss of hope. There is no lacking of hope for the believer. We have already won. Nothing may strip away our standing before God. And our sure eternal home with Him. Hope has appeared here. And He has won. Amen? He has won the victory for us. Now finally, let's, let's look at our, our final point. And this is hope overflowing. I want you to notice Mary's response to all of this. Really two things. First, she, she begins to cling to Him. In verse 16. She calls Him Rabboni, which is an endearing form of the word rabbi, which means teacher. And she begins to, to cling to him as if she's not ever going to let go. I, I lost him once. I'm not, I'm not letting him go again. You see how precious Jesus is to her? And you know, if Jesus is risen from the dead, and all of this is true, how could we not worship him as master? How could we not cling to Him with everything in us? I said earlier that Mary's devotion to Jesus when she thought He was dead was more than most of the church today. Supposedly knowing and believing that He's alive. That shouldn't be. I think the problem with the church today is that most of the people in it don't really believe that Jesus is alive. They haven't applied that to their hearts. Maybe they've applied it to their heads. Uh, Yeah, sure, yeah, he's alive. Yeah, I believe that, yeah. Most people you ask would actually say they believe Jesus rose from the dead and you look at their lives and you couldn't tell at all. You couldn't tell at all that Jesus has done anything in their lives. Why is that? I think it's because we don't really believe. Many don't really believe, for if they did believe, it would be evident in the way we cling to Him. It would be evident in how seriously we take sin. Guys, it crucified Him. And you say he's your master. And it's just no big deal to you. That should not be. 
That should not be, and yet the church is rampant with gross immorality. Every day you're hearing another story, aren't you? It just should not be. If Jesus is alive, well, shouldn't we be like Paul and we count everything as loss for the sake of just knowing Jesus more? Shouldn't He be precious to us? Sure, we, we sing that and we, we say that, but do we live that? Is Jesus really precious to you and, and does it show in your life? He's the source of life for us. His death and, and His resurrection, that is the source of repairing your broken relationships. It's the source of, of, of your comfort. And that is the source of your peace that, that we just can't seem to hold on to. He is the source of it. It's knowing this living Jesus more and more through His Word, through His church, through prayer. But do you really believe it this morning that He is alive? Do you believe that? Amen. Well, then our lives should look a certain way. We should be clinging to Him with everything in us. I want you to notice also that Mary goes and she tells. She can't help it. He did tell her to tell. But, but she can't help it. I mean, he didn't have to tell her to tell. They're going to tell. And that, that is the theme in the New Testament. It's not, it's not just her. Everyone comes to Christ and then they tell everyone. They cannot help it. And we seem to think today uh, that the people that share their faith, uh, they're just the weird radical Christians. What? Hey, the, the people that actually talk about Jesus at their workplace, I mean, heaven forbid you do that. Good grief. I mean, you know, these people are crazy. I mean, yeah, I love Jesus, but I ain't going to talk about him. <laughs> we can talk about sports. You know, we don't have to talk about Jesus and the resurrection. But yeah, it's cool, you know, I believe in and. You know, you believe that, and that's all cool. It's not all cool. People are dying and going to hell. Both people you love and people you don't know. How could we not speak of Him? How could we let fear overtake us so heavily? Mary, she just goes and she tells. She has to. We'll see that with the disciples too. They just they go and tell everybody. What else am I going to do with this amazing information? Let me just hide it forever. Not let a soul know about it. That's crazy. And it's more than crazy. If that's you this morning, you've got to ask, is he really precious to me? Do I really know Jesus? 
if I won't speak of Him? Have I truly surrendered to Him? Have I truly repented of my sins? If the cross is not precious to you, you've got questions to ask yourself this morning. Because it's not compatible with true belief in Christ. If we really believe He's precious to us, and we will tell. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at telling, guys. I'm certainly not. And there are times when fear overtakes me. There are times when it probably overtakes you. And there's grace. And He loves you. You're not earning His favor. He, he loves you even when you screw it up. But if there's nothing in you that says, I've got to tell this message, I don't know if you're saved and you need to ask yourself, are you saved? Do you really know Jesus this morning? It's so much more than just believing in your head. It is surrender to Him as Master, as Lord of your life. That's what salvation is. There's nothing short of that. That's what New Testament belief is. Well, we've seen that so evident in the Gospel of John. Plenty of people believed. And then some of these people, Jesus, it says that Jesus didn't entrust Himself to them. Why? Because they didn't really believe. Yeah, they saw a miracle and they believed it happened. But they were not ready to let that change their hearts. They were not ready to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. That is belief. That we may follow Him that He may be precious to us, that we may go tell about Him. That's New Testament belief. Don't miss here that Jesus uses the most unexpected person ever to appear to first. To tell her, you go tell the others. Now he'll appear to the disciples as well. But first he says, Mary, you go tell the disciples. He chooses the most unexpected person. The most unlikely person. A woman who is demon possessed. It's amazing who God chooses to use. To the world insignificant unimportant and that's who God chooses he will choose anyone who will humble themselves whosoever will you may come this morning whosoever and watch what he does with that I ask the band to come on up and we're going to close in just a moment He's the master of restoration and transformation. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. Ask Jesus this morning to show the power of His resurrection in your life.
by using you this morning. As a willing, humble vessel. And it's got to be in humility. When we come to Christ in humility and humble submission, that's when He moves. Saying, Lord, I, I may have doubts. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about everything, but I'm, I'm just going to surrender to You. I believe that You've paid for my sin on the cross. And I believe that You have raised from the dead. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe that's Your prayer this morning. We've talked about some evidence of the resurrection this morning. There's so much more to talk about. I didn't want to focus on that this morning. Because I know the evidence will not convince you. If you will not be convinced, Jesus appearing in, 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 in His glorious form right here wouldn't convince you. If you will not be convinced. I'm not trying to convince you. But I will say, I know it sounds crazy, but truly, the most reasonable explanation for this historical account is that Jesus has risen from the dead. Where is the body? Why wouldn't they just produce the body? You've got to answer that question. More than that, you've got to answer, what am I going to do with my sin? I sin. I fall short. Everyone, we all know that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And there's a God who we will be held, who will hold us accountable for that sin because He is so just. He has to hold us accountable. But in His great mercy, He has given the payment for your sin. Just receive it in faith this morning. Again, it's more than just intellectual agreement with the evidence. And it won't save you. It is surrendering to Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, verse 9, it says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that means Master. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is my Master and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. He will save you. A few verses later, it says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And whoever means you, I'm pretty sure. If that's you today and you need to come, then come. Please, I'm going to be in the back. I want you to grab me and I want to pray with you. Let's pray together and then let's celebrate your new life in Jesus.
If you need to come this morning, you do that through repentance of sin and declaring your trust for this wonderful Savior. Do it now in these moments. You don't have to do it out loud. You pray between you and, and Him. And tell Him. And then I want you to come and tell me. He says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my Father. Tell somebody. If you've done that this morning. Boy, as believers, this is a wonderful day. We truly have the greatest hope that there is. Because He lives. What can this world do to us? What, what suffering can steal our joy? What circumstance is really hopeless if Jesus rose from the dead? And what is stopping you from proclaiming this? We are victorious in Him. We are heirs with Christ. Let's walk out of here truly believing that, living that, and proclaiming that. He lives, and that is worth celebrating. We're going to celebrate with a couple of songs to close this morning. And, um, you know, as we do close, if you're, if you're just having trouble getting there this morning, you know who you are. I believe He'll meet you where you are. Confess that to Him. Lord, I'm just I'm struggling. Confess that to Him. Lord, meet me here, please. I believe you will. We're going to pray, and then uh, we're going to close with a couple of victorious songs here. Celebrating together what our Lord has done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the payment for our sin in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you. That He is alive. Oh, we praise You that He is alive. That we can know that we are saved because He is alive. That we have an inheritance with You forever because He is alive. And God, that we have the Holy Spirit in us because He is alive. God, we give You praise and honor and glory. You are worthy of everything this morning. And so much more. God, I pray if there's one who doesn't know you, please impress upon their hearts right now. God, torture them with your word until they will come. Help them come, Lord. Convict them of sin. And bring them to that place of surrender, Lord, and let us celebrate together. God, I pray that you would use this church family in an amazing way that we cannot even fathom, Lord. We ask that you would do the impossible here at Risen Life Fellowship. God, we love you. We thank you again that he is alive. And we ask all these things in his precious name. Amen.